Well, as a confession before we start, theology is not my forte. Um, I've taken theological classes, and at one point during some seminary courses, um, would never consider myself a theologian, but was studying a lot of theology. And I kind of got burnt on theology, to be honest with you. I kind of got tired of it from the standpoint of this is just knowledge for the sake of knowledge. And that's the danger in theology and studying just to study theology, just to have the knowledge to have it. So my word of caution throughout this entire study for us for today and in the weeks preceding is that this would not be viewed as biblical theology just to increase our knowledge level, but that it would be biblical theology to increase our love and worship for God. So caution yourself against the pride that can come with just, I know more than this other person or this, these Christians at other churches because we study theology. Let's fight against that and instead use the more that we learn about God to drive us to a deeper level of worship. Um, so that's my little caution and warning before we really get started this morning. And I'd like to open us in prayer, and we're going to pray for Pastor Keith uh, as he's recovering from his, his heart attack as well. Father in heaven, we're grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning to open up your word. We pray that you'd help us. We pray that you would guide us as we study, not just this week, but in the continuing weeks as we go through your Bible that you've given to us, your scripture, your words to us. Help us to learn from them. Help us to learn more about who you are and how we relate to you and how we should love you and worship you more because of that. God, we do, we lay all of these things in your hands and we just ask your blessings on them. Lord, we pray for Pastor Keith. We pray, first of all, we're thankful for you for preserving his life and for protecting him. We pray that you would continue to help him heal now. We pray for joy that you would be with her as she takes care of him. And we just ask for peace and um, a trust and a faith in you through all of this and through this difficulty. Would you bring him back to us soon in your timing and with all the other sicknesses that are going around and, and COVID being such a big deal in our culture and in our church, God, we just pray that you would protect him and joy from that even while they're in the hospital. Lord, we ask these things. Would you bless us this morning as we prepare our hearts through this study to worship you as we head into your worship service? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week, for those of you who weren't here, Derek introduced us to this. He covered four, was it four or five chapters, Derek, last week? Five chapters in 45 minutes. It was, uh, it was impressive. I'm glad I only have one. So we're going through a book, um, and so all the teachers are teaching through this book Christ from beginning to end, basically going through the scriptures and seeing Christ and biblical theology throughout. So the advantage of that is we're all teaching the same material. You're not going to hear a whole bunch of different perspectives. And Pastor Mark encouraged all of us to make sure we stick to the material and not add in our own things. That was hard for me, especially on the topic of creation, because I automatically go to the apologetic side and want to discuss creation versus evolution and how that affects us. So I'll try not to chase those 
uh, apologetic rabbits today, but that is, that's, that's my natural bent is to go that way. But today we're going to look at one of the four puzzle pieces of the corners of the jigsaw puzzle that Derek introduced us to. So he said if you take a jigsaw puzzle, you dump it out of the box, there's a whole bunch of pieces. That jigsaw puzzle is biblical theology and all that the Bible has to say about God. And those four corners that you would start building the puzzle around are, here's the four corners, creation, fall, who remembers this one? Redemption, and what's the last one? Okay, we're getting there. New creation. So today we're studying the first corner of biblical theology of creation, the creation covenant. So what does the Bible say to answer the question, where did we come from and why are we here? That's a question that cultures and societies for since there's been people have asked. Why are we here? Where did we come from? God gives us that answer in the first chapter of the first book of the first section of the Bible. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That answers the question. Where did we come from? God created the heavens and the earth. So as we explore creation and the covenant that came with that, we're going to look at it as if it's a story. And it is a story. It is our story. It is where we came from. It is why we are here. So it's like picking a book out of the library or at the bookstore, opening it up, and the first chapter has your name in it, and it's talking about you and your life story. That's what the Bible is for us. It is, it is about God, but in how we relate to him. So all good stories have three things in them. It's pretty much required for any story to have these three things. You have to have a main character or characters. You have to have a setting. So where is this happening? Is it happening in space? Is it happening in a submarine? You have to have a timeline or the trajectory. Where is this story going? So we're going to see those three things today. First of all, we're going to look at the characters. And then we'll see the setting and the trajectory for the story of creation and what that means for us throughout the Bible. So the first part we're going to see is the very first character we meet in the Bible we see in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. So God's the first character, the first being that we meet in Scripture. Well, logically, what does it teach us about God? gives us a pretty big clue that the first person we meet in the story is the most important person in the story. The Bible says a whole lot about God throughout it, but we're given a lot to chew on just in the fact that God is the creator. So what does God being the creator teach us about him? Well, let's look at just a few of those things first. God was a personal being of majestic power. He was a person, meaning he had personal relationships within himself, the triune God. So he was not this unfeeling, unloving volcano that erupted and turned into something, right? He was a personal being that created 
the world and all that we have through the words, let there be light, let there be darkness. So God is a personal creator. Secondly, we're going to see that God is the source of life. So the creator God, for him to be the creator, means that he has to be the source. It comes from him, meaning that as the source, he is not dependent on anything else for life. Again, some of these things we're going to think, well, yeah, that's basic, but it sets up such a foundation for how we worship God and who he is. So not only is is he the source of life as self-sufficient, having no needs, he is also the source of all authority and the source of morality. So God, because he is the creator, is the source of what is true and not true, of what is good and what is bad. He's the source of authority and morality. As creator, God's separate from his creation, meaning he is not the creation. All, if you look throughout history and any time there's been a discovery of a forgotten land somewhere or a city that they dig up and they find, oh, these people, they worshipped something. We are designed to worship. All creatures worship something. But we don't worship the God who is the sun God. Our God created the sun. We don't worship the wind God. God created the wind. So there is an innate desire in humans to worship. And because of God's word and his scripture, we know that we worship the source of all of life, We worship the source of all authority and morality. He is separate from his creation. And we see that the creator God is also sovereign over what he's made, meaning he's the ruling king. There are different, various forms of pagan religions that believe, okay, a God made us, turned his back and walked away. He's no longer in control. It's just, let's see what happens. There are people that believe that evolution started with some version of a God creating the elements, letting it happen, walking away. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the ruling king. Psalm 93, 3-5 says, The Lord is the great God, the great king above all kings. The psalmist says, In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. The sea is his because he made it. The mountains are God's because he made them. We are God's because he made us. And finally, we see that God as creator is satisfied in his creation. When God finished creating each day, what did he say? It is good. He's satisfied in it. And Genesis 2, 1 through 3 tells us that the culmination of the work of creation, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creation that he had done. 
And here's a good question to ask. We all, we've, those of us who've grown up in the scriptures know that God rested on the seventh day. Why did God rest? It's a good conversation to have with your kids. Was it because he was weary? Well, no. He's the source of all life. He needs nothing. He doesn't need rest. He doesn't need food. He's the source of life. So he wasn't tired. So what is the rest of God on the seventh day for? It was for the enjoyment of the fulfillment of his creation. God rested because it was good. And he was enjoying the creation that he made. We get a small picture, a glimpse of this if a painter finishes a painting and it's gorgeous and he puts the brush down and he just stares at it and enjoys it. It is finished. He enjoys it. It's almost as if he could climb inside that painting he would and be in that scene that he's finished painting. Well, God didn't just paint the world and the universe and all that we know. He created it with his breath and then he rested in it because it was good. We're told in Hebrews that we are to strive to enter into his rest with him. So that's that concept of eternal rest. So we see just a hint here of what is to come. I don't want to spoil our third point of trajectories, but we see that God's rest is not resting from weariness or resting how we think of a day off from work. It was resting in the enjoyment of his creation. So even God's rest tells us something about God, that he's personal and that he was happy and enjoying what he created. So the next character, after we've looked at the most important character, which is God in our story, the next character that we see in scriptures is humanity. The creation narrative reaches its highest point in the crown of God's creation, us. Think about that for a second. God made planets. He made the sun that burns and doesn't go out. He made the moon that is basically a big mirror and reflects the sun. He made galaxies that we've yet to discover. And yet we, humankind, mankind, is the culmination of God's creation. In so many ways, we are the best part of God's creation because we're made in his image. So Genesis 1, 26 through 31, I'm going to read that passage, is kind of the overview of God creating man. And then we're pulled back out or zoomed in, so to speak, in chapter 2 as he describes even deeper creation of man. So Genesis 1, 26 through 31 says, Then God said, how, how awesome is the fact that we're given the thoughts and the speech of God for us to contemplate? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every other creeping thing on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every other living thing that moves on the earth. 
And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So yes, Adam and Eve were vegetarians at the beginning. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So the sixth day, the final day of creation, that's why I said it's the culmination of God's creation, was when he made mankind. But, but, we're told God has said everything so far has been good, right? He said it is good. We're told one thing God says it is not good. What is it? What did God say it is not good? Yeah. So God created Adam perfectly. He had a perfect relationship with God. He was sinless. He had a sinless relationship with the Creator, But yet Adam was not complete. Adam was not, it was not good for Adam to be alone. God made us, therefore, to need one another. The saying, no man is an island, is insanely true. The the struggle of depression and um, suicide gets incredibly higher the more alone a person feels the more disconnected that person feels. We are made to need and depend on one another. Because God, we're in his likeness, and he is not alone. He is the triune God. He is in fellowship with himself. And so in his likeness, we are made to be with one another. We are made to have relationships. So Genesis 2.21 says the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. I got to mention in this verse, this was the theme verse for my anesthesia school. (laughs) I went to a Seventh-day Adventist school and they they used scripture and they said, this was the first anesthetic. (laughs) God caused man to fall asleep and removed his rib and created Eve. It's interesting to note And I don't think we can build anything off of it, no deep theologies off of it, but I just find it's interesting to note that Eve was not created the same way Adam was. Adam was formed out of dust and God breathed life into him. Eve was formed out of Adam's bones, out of his rib. But she was still created in God's image and made from Adam. And then it seems that words alone couldn't express Adam's joy at seeing Eve because the following verse is written as if it's a poem. Adam said the first time he sees Eve, he said, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. It's not the most romantic poem ever, but you know, he tried. But God created man, brought woman from man for them to become one flesh. So this is where we see the building block for family and for society it seems to be pointing towards something, doesn't it? We begin to see the trajectory for marriage already created within the first six days of God creating time. 
Within the first six days of time, there's marriage. God created Adam and he created Eve for Adam. We'll see later how the institution of marriage is important and throughout all of Scripture and the purpose of that. But now we've seen basically the main characters of our story. We've seen God, the creator, the main character, and the other very important characters are us. We see mankind. So now we're going to look at the setting. So where does the creation covenant story take place and what does that teach us? Well, we know that before there was nothing. So this, this goes back to that question, why are we here and where did we come from? Another way of asking that, that philosophers have talked about for years, why is there something rather than nothing? We came from God and before we were here, there was nothing. So creation establishes First of all, the reality and goodness of creation. We've hinted at this already when God said, it is good. Creation story teaches that God created the entire universe, its galaxies, its planets, its stars, its land, the water, the animals, the humans. And we see in Genesis that God created everything good. What's different about that from other religions? What does the Hindu religion teach about stuff, about material things? It's not good. It's bad. That material things are bad. And in fact, there's a little bit of that even in, in our hearts. We struggle with that. Is it good? to? We don't want to love this world, but God created this world. God created this world good. And so the things of this world prior to the fall were good. So the creation established that the reality and goodness of creation came from God. Secondly, and really this is probably the biggest thing that the setting gives us, is creation established the beginning of time. Prior to that, there wasn't days and nights. There weren't 24 hours in a day. There wasn't years. There wasn't time. Creation began the beginning of history. Some false religions teach that it's um, cyclical, that it's like a cycle, that the world will get destroyed and then it'll be reinvented again and we'll go all through it over and over again. And That's not the way it works. There's a linear timeline. It was nothing except for God. There was a start and then it progresses throughout history into our present day and into the future. So creation established the beginning of history. The only thing that existed before was God. Jesus speaks of this in John 17, 5, when he talks about the glory he shared with the Father before the world began. By the act of creation, the eternal God brought into existence a universe and a timeline that had not existed before. I know nothing I've shared so far is earth-shattering, right? Like, we all understand this. But this is the creation, the principles of the creation covenant that set the foundation for our beliefs in God. Before God created day and night, there was nothing. If we just take a moment just to rest on that. My kids make fun of the way I say moment. Moment. Anyway, if we just take a second to, to digest that, to wrap our heads around that. There was nothing but God. 
then God created us. Does that not drive you to worship? Does that not drive you to just wonderment and awe at who our God and Creator is? So the third thing that we're going to look at, I have a, I have a handwritten note here. I do want to point out, this is a sticky point. I'm not going to chase this rabbit, I promise. But this is a sticky point for evolutionists. If there was nothing, where did the Big Bang Theory come from? Where did the gases that all met and reacted to each other, where did they come from? The concept of nothing and absolutely this empty space, there is nothing here, is very, very different from there is something here. So that's, that's a sticking point for every evolutionist theory. Where did whatever we evolved from come from? It had to be something. But we, as Bible-believing Christians, know that there was nothing and that everything came from our God, the Creator. So thirdly, I want us to look at the trajectories for the storyline ahead, or in other words, where's this going? First of all, we see that creation defines God's relationship with His people as covenantal. So the the lesson, the name of this in the, the chapter is covenant, the creation covenant, right? The Adamic covenant, covenant of Adam. There are lots of names for this covenant. Throughout the years, um, theologians have called it the covenant of works because Adam had to do one thing. He had to obey. There's, it was called the covenant of friendship because there was a relationship of friendship between Adam, sinless Adam, and creator God. It was called a covenant of life, a covenant of obedience, or a covenant of innocence, meaning there was no sin yet. But all that to say, there was a covenant in creation. Adam, or Derek told us last week that a covenant and contrasted a covenant with a contract. Do you remember what the difference was? What's the difference between a legal contract and a covenant? Amy. Right. So Amy said a covenant is for the purpose of the relationship. A contract, there is no relationship. You might like your banker, but I promise you if you quit paying your house mortgage, it's, he's not going to be your friend anymore. Right? There's, there's not a relationship there. It's business. But a covenant is based on the relationship. So the relationship of creation defines God's re relationship with us, how he interacts with us. Adam and Eve were created to be God's people. And throughout the Bible, we see God choosing a people and saying to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. That is first started in creation. God didn't create Adam and Eve and Bill and Jill, right? And he chose Adam and Eve and not Bill and Jill. He could have, but he didn't. He created Adam and Eve, and in that creation was, I am your God and you are my people. That was the beginning of the covenant. Now, Adam wasn't just the first human. He was... A, representat a representative of all humans to come. 
So if we were going to send a representative of your family, you would probably send your dad or you would send the husband or the father. If you were going to send a representative for the entire church, we would probably send Pastor Mark or Pastor Thad. We would send one person to represent our church. God chose Adam to represent all of humanity. So because of that, through Adam, we have some blessings. Through Adam, we are all created to have a relationship with God. There are not some humans that are created to have a relationship with God and some that are not. We all got that through Adam because he was the representative of us. Through Adam, we were created all as image bearers. There's not some people that don't bear the image of God. We're thankful for those things that Adam represented us for. But sadly, also through Adam, we get the sin as well. So we get some good things, and then we get the earth-shattering destruction. When Adam sinned, we sinned. We receive that sin through Adam because he was our head, because he was our representative. But there's other roles that we got through Adam. Adam was the first prophet. God spoke directly to him. Adam was the first priest. It was Adam's job to instruct Eve and their future children about God and his relationship with them. Adam was the first king in that he was given the order to rule over creation. So that prophet, priest, king role we've seen throughout Scripture, now that we have the whole canon of God's Scripture, we see that over and over and over again. We see prophets, we see priests, and we see kings, and none of them could fulfill those roles perfectly until Christ. So even though Adam fell, we see even in creation, we see the beginning pointing to the prophet, priest, king of Christ, who was able to fully fulfill that relationship. So as our representative, Adam, Adam has passed down these things to us. We are prophets in the sense that we have God's word. God speaks to us through his word. We're priests in that we're given the commandment to, or the, the command to go forth and testify and witness and baptize in my name. And we're given the role of caring for God's world that he created. We rule the world. Maybe not in this room, but humans rule the world. Animals don't. Trees don't. We are kings through Adam because Adam was our head. We also see that creation defines God's covenantal relationship with his people. The covenant cannot be expressly stated in Genesis. God didn't specifically say to Adam, I will be my God, I will be your God and you will be my people. But by creating Adam, that is there. God created Adam and Eve to be his people and he would be their God. So creation also defines marriage as foundational for the story ahead. So this is what I pointed to a little bit earlier, the trajectory of marriage. God created Adam to need Eve. 
He created thousands of different kinds of animals, insects, microbes, sea creatures, birds, and only two of his creations were image bearers, male and female. And as we saw earlier, this creation of male and female for each other was to procreate, to join together as one flesh, and that's foundational for all of human societies. And we mentioned it's not good for man to be alone, is what God said. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now this, this part, I, I find this fascinating, and I can't help but laugh when I really think about it, because this, this is something Esther would do to me. She would know that I needed to do something, and she would somehow make me feel like it was my idea, right? So God parades all the animals in front of Adam. You know, there's the, there's the lion, there's the lioness. There's the rooster, there's the hen. There's the bull elephant, there's the not bull elephant. I don't know what you call them, other elephant. And Adam's looking around, and he's, Where, where's my lioness? And so God had already stated to himself, it's not good for man to be alone. He knew he was going to create Eve for Adam. But Adam didn't know that yet. Adam came, God showed Adam how much he needed Eve before he created her. Adam realized he needed a companion. But when God made Adam a companion, he didn't, he didn't give him a best friend. He didn't give him a, a Bobby Goble. He didn't give him, you know, um, a guy to help him shoulder the workload in the gardens, in the fields. He gave him a helper fit for him. He gave him Eve for the purpose of them uniting and being one flesh. This is foundational in our society because it has been attacked and will continue to be attacked from now until the Lord returns. Marriage is offensive to the world because God created it. God gave Adam Eve for each other, for his glory, and we as sinners want there to be other ways. We don't like being told this is the one way. And so... In the creation ordinance, in the fact that God created marriage, it sets up so much for our lives and our societies. Even more than creating marriage just for procreation or just for Adam's happiness or Adam and Eve's happiness, he created marriage as a type or a pattern to point beyond itself to a greater relationship. What is the greater relationship that marriage points to? Christ and the church. So we're told in scriptures that, that we are the bride of Christ. If God had not created the marriage ordinance, one man with one woman, that would not have the meaning that it does. God created Adam for Eve and Eve for Adam, just as God has given the church his groom, his son. So marriage is more than just procreation. Marriage points to, the trajectory of marriage points to Christ and his ultimate sacrifice, his life, his death on the cross, his being raised from the dead for his bride, the church. We're pointed to this in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. It says, therefore, 
quoting the Old Testament, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul continues, he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So marriage points to our relationship with God. The final trajectory we see is creation defines rest as the goal of creation. We talked about this just a little bit. The rest that God rested in. This is a theme that honestly I've, I think I've missed before when studying creation or when being taught creation. You hear the creation story. I've missed what was the, the point of rest. And we, I always tended to think, well, that was so God could be worshipped. And there is some of that. God blessed the day and made it holy. That seventh day, he said, this is a holy day. And the only time that changed is when Christ changed it by rising from the dead on the first day. But there's more to that than just this is a day to worship God, because God's to be worshipped on every day. The day was holy, yes, but the rest was holy. The rest was important. Rest refers to God's full enjoyment of his handiwork, and it points us also to the future. We're told to strive to enter into God's rest with him. God's creation rest ultimately also points forward to Jesus. We see so much of Christ in the creation story because God designed it that way. The Jesus, by his work, brings salvation and rest and restores us to a full relationship with our covenant God. The term rest in peace, which we throw around so casually when someone dies, rest in peace, oh, may he rest in peace. That, that comes from this idea of entering into the rest if, of peace with God the Creator. So God rested from creation in an enjoyment of what he created. We're invited into that rest as well. Our rest will not be from creating, but we're going to rest from labor. We're invited to rest from sin, from guilt, from shame, from temptation, from the effects of the curse, from death, from pain, from sickness, from broken bodies and broken relationships. But ultimately, we will rest with a perfect relationship with our Creator God. Does that not drive you to worship? The desire to rest in peace with our Creator God. Something that we currently have because of Christ, but do not fully have because of sin. So today we've seen one of the foundational corners of the frame that we're going to continue to piece together throughout this study. We've seen the creation covenant Next week, I believe we're going to see the fall. And from there, we're going to go on to the covenant with Noah and eventually to the redemption covenant and then the new creation. So this gives us some framework. But again, my hope and prayer through all of this has been that we long to learn more and know more about God's word so that we can more fully enjoy him, more fully worship him. As we leave here, our hearts should be full of awe at a God who created us out of nothing, at a God who created all of the trees that we saw on the way in here this morning out of nothing, the air that we breathe out of nothing, created our spouses for us out of nothing. And 
we have about four minutes. So I do want to open up some time for either discussion or questions. Um, does anyone have comments, anything that they want to share along those lines about the creation covenant? All right, it's interesting when he says, let us make man out of the image. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wiley's just pointing out that it's God glorifying that we're made not in the Son's image, not in the Holy Spirit's image, but in the Trinity's image. Yeah. Couple of questions from me for us to ponder. And like I said, when I study the creation covenant, I'm naturally led towards creation versus evolution. So if we evolved, and this is important because there are countless numbers of believers who still think that we evolved. I could list off, when when I just did a quick search on famous Christians who believed in evolution, it was depressing. Um, Tim Keller, C.S. Lewis. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a good point, Derek. Thanks for bringing that up. We, we don't want to lump anybody who says evolution is that they're not a deist, that they don't believe in God. But it is, it is something we need to understand. So my question is, if we evolved, even if, and there are Christians that believe this, that God put us all into this situation to evolve into the way we are today, if that happened, how are we image bearers and monkeys aren't? Was there a time when God stopped and breathed his life into us suddenly and we became image bearers? The Bible says we were created in God's image, meaning he made us, not he made us to evolve into this being. But these are, these are things that if you're having a discussion about creation, you're going to be challenged on. The old creation versus the new creation. The Did God literally create it in six days or was it over six ages? That's not necessarily something that you're going to find heresy on one side or the other. But just as I believe in that standpoint, just as God created a 30-year-old, 20-year-old, however old Adam was, he didn't create Adam as a baby. He created Adam old enough to walk, talk, to work. He also could have and did, I believe, created the earth as a certain age. The trees were not all saplings. They weren't growing this tall from the ground. They were producing fruit already. Um, so the, these are things that I think the creation ordinance, and when we study the creation covenant, it points us to reflect more, to chew on it a little bit, to, to just enjoy who God is by what he did. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah. 
first Adam, there's no need for the second Adam. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Since my man came to death, I mean, you have, you know, if Adam was the first one to die, there's, that really throws a real kick into the whole redemption story. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, our time is up. Oh, Tom. I just want to make one quick comment about creation. I think God gave us the ability to be creators as well. And that was through his image. We can mm. create artwork, as you said, mm. buildings. And we can create that spectacularly that people are awed about. I yeah. was watching a, watching a show the other night about dogs. And this is kind of off the side of it, but by the by breeding different animals together like dogs. There are millions of breeds that we are permitted to, to create in a sure. space for the enjoyment of those of us who like pets. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm glad that he's creating that he is the image of God. I also have the ability to take my talents and be a creator as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. The, the, that's one of the things that's different from us, from animals. Yeah. We are given the desire to create. Create music, create art. Yeah. All right, well, let's pray, and then we'll head into the worship service. Father in heaven, we're thankful this morning that you are the creator God. We can't fully wrap our minds around what you did and how you did it, but Lord, we believe that you did it, and we give you glory and honor for that. We thank you for your creation. We thank you for the way you have created us in your image Lord, we are unworthy of that, and yet we worship you because of it. God, thank you. We ask that now as we head into your worship service that our hearts would be full, that we would be excited to worship our creator God this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.